Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to another episode of Lows to Highs, Going Inwards and Growing Up. I'm Karin, your host, and I'm so happy that you're here today. So in today's episode, I chat with Mary Spirito, also known as Ritual and Routine, who is a healer and mentor, and we had probably one of the most incredible conversations I've had to date with anyone, not even just on this episode, but in general. There is so much great wisdom and practical tips and insight on how to really heal your trauma or your feelings or your emotions and break patterns or beliefs that are not serving you and how to really just manifest the life that you desire for yourself. And there's so much good points and tips that I know for a fact I'm going to be taking into my daily practice and really bring into my world and I feel like you guys are going to have so many new learnings that you will also take with you. We talk all about trauma, big T trauma, small t trauma, how to really go down those layers and unpack what is causing your distress, whether it's physical distress or emotional distress. It was such an honor to chat with Mary and I'm so grateful to bring this powerful conversation to you guys and I'm so excited for you to listen and learn and really change your perspective on trauma and healing and manifestation and everything and anything. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. But before we do, I have linked all of Mary's information in the description below. I highly recommend you check out her Instagram page and if you're interested in learning more about all that we talk about, definitely reach out to her. If you're interested in finding a mentor or or a coach, I recommend Mary for you. And she also has an immersion happening in New York City. If you are local to this area on May 14th, I'm going to be attending and I'm so happy that she's offering this in-person experience. And if you're interested, definitely check it out. If you haven't already, I've also linked my website below. I offer digital and physical products that help you become the better version of yourself, whether that's through my guided e-journal that helps you release, rebuild, and renew into your ideal version. I also have affirmation phone backgrounds on my website, which is such a great reminder as you unlock your phone or look at your phone every single moment of the day to have such positive affirmations um, right there in front of you to remind you throughout your day that to be present or to love yourself or to continue on your journey. And I also have a few more pieces left in stock of my sweatpants and my sweatshirts. Feel free to check those out. Um, And okay, I'm going to stop rambling. Let's get into the episode. Hello, Mary. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, Give us a quick background of yourself, where you're from, what do you do? Tell us about everything about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. I'm Mary Spirito at Ritual and Routine on Instagram. I'm an intuitive healer and master coach. So what that looks like, I have two parts of my business. One part of my business is transformational retreats and experiences, which I have an immersion in New York City. I don't know when you're airing this, but it'll be May 14th. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> May 14th. Um, and I'm really excited for that. So transformational experiences, retreats um, on one side, really getting into the art of shadow work. So looking at patterns, beliefs, and behaviors that are holding us back, uprooting them in favor of patterns, beliefs, and behaviors that are going to propel us forward and allow us to be all that we are. And then the second leg of my business is all about teaching and working with other coaches and healers and helping them to expand into their own sacred medicine, helping them to take up space and also to really allow themselves to be in integrity with the work. So not just be good salespeople, but really how to hold a transformational container. So that's a little bit of an overview of what I do. I'm originally from Lexington, Kentucky, which always shocks people, <laughs> Kentucky. Um, but I come from a very Italian family. So I kind of feel like I'm this weird blend of like very, a, a lot of Italian genes. My, my parents are from Europe meshing with like this Southern culture and somehow I've ended up in New York city living the dream. So that's my little background as far as where, how I landed here. That's a, that's a, another story in its entirety. So what was your upbringing like? Like I'm, I'm assuming that you came from a very traditional Italian household, even though you were in Kentucky with European parents and my parents are immigrants. So I feel like Kids who come like first generation Americans understand the differences from versus people in their neighborhoods who didn't have that background. So I would love to learn more about your upbringing. Like what was your childhood like um, and how did you get into the space? Yeah. So my childhood was really was really cool. I'm, I've always been so proud of the European upbringing that I've had. Like I, re- I remember looking recently I was home and I was looking at my old, you know, when you're like in kindergarten and it, and it asks you like, what do you aspire? Like mm-hmm. ask you all those little kindergartner questions. And in so many of these little art project pieces, I integrated the fact that I was Italian. Like I would have like the Italian flag or that my mom was Roman. I was so proud of it, like from the get-go, which I think is so cool and so interesting. So growing up, you know, having a very Italian family, it's, we're, we're, we're incredibly tight. We still are incredibly tight. I FaceTime my family like twice a day. <laughs> like, is that too much? I don't know. Um, I, I say, no, I say there, there's I never agree. not enough. <laughs> um, and I had this really cool dynamic of a family that was really emotional, loud, open, always sharing, Um, but I do think it was really interesting how that was very contrasting with this more Southern mentality of not being, I always felt like I was the loud, open too much one. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of, even though I do love this Southern mentality of there's a slowness and, uh, like a sweetness to the way that they approach life. I also feel like there's not a lot of directness inside of that culture that really rubbed me. Like I'm a very direct individual and I felt like I was always like too much in that way. And it wasn't that I was too much. I just had to find first own that fully and then find the people that kind of matched my temperament. So hence why I've ended up in the Northeast where people seem to be a little bit more direct, but I, I loved my time in the South and, and growing up, I had, you know, the fortune of having both of my parents were really nurturing, loving, like very alpha linear people. Um, my mom, very interestingly, she's very spiritual and has been 
you know, my whole life. So at the beginning of my life, I remember being like, well, that's just like what mom does. Mm-hmm. And then oh, <laughs> I thought I was going to be following a more linear path. I wanted to be a healer. I knew, but I didn't know exactly what that looked like other than to be a doctor. So I was like, okay, I want to help people heal. So like, I'll be a doctor. So I was pre-med, I was getting ready to go to medical school, like from high school on, essentially I was in the lab, like I was in the freaking lab. (laughs) Um, and then when it came time to actually like enter into medical school, I was facing so much resistance. It just, it wasn't feeling like the right fit, which was super interesting because it was something that I was aspiring to for so long. So then all of a sudden when it wasn't feeling like the correct fit, I was like, well, okay, crap. What now? Like, what do I do? I still want to help people, but medical school just feels like I'm, I'm a creative. I'm still, Mm -hmm. I hadn't really tapped in fully into that part of myself, but I just felt like I didn't fit the mold of what I needed to be in order to be successful as a medical practitioner. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll dip my toe in, I'll dip my toe in research and medical research. That was interesting and great. Um, I learned a lot, especially within the neuroscience research that I was doing that I get to apply now into my practice now, which is super cool. Everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really like it opened, it, it was like the first time in my life where I realized and was struggling with this idea of purpose where I was like, I feel like there are a lot of things that I could do, but what is the marriage of what is what I can do, what my skill set allows and what my aptitudes really merge with. So that that's like one line of what was happening in my story. The second line is like, okay, you asked, how did I get into this business in the first place? Well, in college, I started really experiencing the onset of symptoms of traumas that had not been dealt with. Mm-hmm. What that looked like for me as a child, when I was four or five years old, I was raped. Um, uh, and I never told anyone I lived with this secret. I squashed it down. And then when I was around 2021, 20, I was raped again. So that second rape really opened up this, it it, like, it cracked me open. And all of a sudden I could no longer hide from these traumas that I was dealing with. So what happens with trauma when we're not dealing with it, when we're not witnessing it, when we're not telling people about it, it seeks, your body's a really interesting, a really interesting vehicle because it, it will never allow you to bypass what needs to be witnessed. So undigested traumas, undigested emotions Mm -hmm. will find themselves moving from, okay, you're not going to deal with them in the emotional sphere. You're not going to deal with them in the mental sphere. Great. We're going to find our way into your body to create a somatic message for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So people with undigested trauma, what happens? Their digestive system gets messed up, right? It all lives in the same space. So I started dealing with insane digestive issues, like couldn't eat gluten, dairy, FODMAPs, none of it very limited diet. And then all of a sudden, because I felt so detached and out of control with my body and so detached and out of control in my life, like, mm-hmm. why did these traumas happen to me? Why was I raped as a kid? Why was I raped as an adult? Like, why don't I have this sovereignty, this feeling of safety? Why does my body feel like it's not mine? I then developed an eating disorder. So here I am, uh, early twenties, 
developing horrible digestive issues and this eating disorder, using my body as an arena to play out control. So controlling my food, controlling my body so that I could feel some sort of control in my life. Mm -hmm. Eventually I hit this rock bottom, uh, where I couldn't sustain this anymore, where I felt so alone, where I felt like I was purposeless. I felt like I I couldn't find direction. And I was just waiting for that God voice to come out of the clouds and be like, yo, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Because it seems like everyone around me had figured it out. I'm Mm -hmm. like, where did I miss the guidebook? Like, was there an orientation into adulting? I'm confused. Right. Mm -hmm. So how I got into this was hitting this rock bottom I remember walking into a Lululemon store and there was a promo card for a free yoga class. So I was like, all right, these yoga people seem to know like (laughs) peace. And I, I think I need some of that. So I go and try the class and the class was taught by someone who's now a dear friend of mine. Um, And it completely changed me because for the first time I realized this experience of opening up a part of my body and feeling an emotional reaction. It was the first time I realized that there's a connection between our emotions and our physical body. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I think I can start to work on this. So that was the initiation of a long line, a 10 year period of me healing my body, my mind, and my soul through the traumas, through the digestive stuff, through the eating disorder and reclaiming purpose, reclaiming my body, reclaiming who I'm here to be. So I, along the way, kind of like a shopping cart, like was trying on different things, adding it, the things that were working and and helping the unwinding of my healing, I added into my own practice. And here I am today serving in many different ways. I, you know, I'm at the time couldn't figure out why I felt so stuck in neuroscience research and cancer research. And now I understand, like, I have the ability to understand someone from the micro, from the, from their biology to the macro, to what's happening in their emotional landscape and their mental landscape, right? Mm -hmm. Everything happens exactly the way that it's supposed to. So I have these tools. I have this, you know, I have a biochemistry background. I have, um, health coaching, life coaching, energy healing, breath work, NLP, EFT, like all, like uh, I'm not going to keep going, but all of the things that I've that I found have really helped me to bridge the gap between the body mind, to bridge the gap between the conscious and the subconscious, to bridge the gap between the emotional plane and then the energetic plane. So that's why I'm here. I'm here so that you don't have to spend ten years figuring out how to uproot trauma, how to witness the things that are kicking you in the knees that are really just an unintegrated parts of the light so that you can collapse the timeline of 10 years into a month, a week, three months. That's what I'm here to serve. I love everything you just said. And I just want to say thank you for sharing the story of you as a child and as an adult. I think that's so beautiful and empowering that you're able to talk about it and how you've really turned your suffering into something that is serving other people. And I think that's the 
that's one of the biggest purposes of all of us in life is even if you don't have your set purpose in terms of your career, I think taking your learnings from your experiences and sharing that with other people and helping them through it is something that we should all strive for. There's so much that I want to unpack, um, but I love how you really talked about trauma and the emotional connection with it. And there's so much research and so much data, which I'm sure you're fully aware of with your medical background on how emotional distress really does cause physical symptoms, whether it's digestion, like you mentioned, which is something that I suffer with or hormonal issues or cancer or tumor or something small or big that stems from unhealed trauma, like you mentioned. What I loved when we first connected, I was telling you about my gut issues, which I've had for 15 years, and I'm still on the path to healing. And I've seen a lot of progress over the most past like two to three years. And I remember sharing with you that um, I had spoke to a spiritual medium and I asked her questions of like, is there any childhood trauma that I'm suppressing? Is there, was there a big moment in my life that I really just blocked and like shut the door on and I have never opened that door again? And she was like, no, like you've had, you had a really beautiful childhood. There's nothing major that you're suppressing, but she did pinpoint little moments in my childhood, whether it was like as a child, you know, hearing your parents argue and not understanding what that means. And then not seeing the emotions that come out of it, or like little moments in pre-K or kindergarten when like someone, you know, a little boy would say a little joke and I would take that in, but I didn't realize that I'd had that much value. So I'm really curious to hear your perspective on does trauma have to be something so big, like a big major life event, like the one that you shared in your personal experience, or can it be little moments that we don't even hold much weight to, but we actually are storing it in our bodies that lead to physical distress. And if that's the case, how do we go about breaking that? And you're the expert on that. So I would love to to hear your perspective. That's a really good point. Trauma is trauma is trauma. Trauma is all relevant, right? It all it all comes down to perspective. Mm-hmm. Big T trauma and little T trauma have similar effects. And in fact, it's really interesting when I'm doing this shadow work with individuals, we expect sometimes that the big T traumas are the things that ignite certain. So the way that this works, right, is that the triggers that we're playing out in our lives. So the places where we're feeling in lack limitation and separation and playing that out in dynamics and relationship in our jobs, wherever it may be, the things that we're triggered by that we have an emotional response to are messengers to show us unhealed traumas, right? Mm-hmm. Unhealed aspects of ourselves. So when we follow the line from triggers down to the limiting beliefs, down to the origin story, so the trauma mm-hmm. that's created them, we often think, okay, it must be this big event that's happened in my life. But so often I've experienced, and actually I've experienced this personally as well, where it sometimes isn't the big T trauma that created that pattern that we assume, right? I know for me personally, and I think anecdotes are really helpful here, like for uh, the majority of my life, I had this extreme perfectionist complex, right? And the perfectionism was a mask, right? It was, if I can become perfect, then I won't give anyone a toggle to be able to pull me down, Mm -hmm. right? Then Then I have this perfect mask to protect me. And when I was following this line of perfectionism, I realized that what 
like the origin story of it was a piano recital, a piano recital, like (laughs) where I play the piano when I was probably like five or six. And my parents miscommunicated with one another. They'd both taken separate cars and they had left me on accident. (laughs) So in my mind, I was like, oh, I didn't perform well. And they left me like I wasn't good enough. So they left me. I was like running down the aisle of the recital, like making a racket, like, where's my mom? You know, like (laughs) someone called my parents. And I realized it's so interesting because you take that as truth, whatever narrative you Mm -hmm. create at that age, you're just, you're just, you file it away. You're like, that's the interpretation. That is the truth. I'm filing that away. So then when I came and visited one of the origin stories of why I decided I had to be, you know, why I adopted this perfectionism mask, which was so I wouldn't be abandoned. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, it's the piano recital. That's, this is where this starts. So interesting. And I hadn't even, I, I completely forgot about it. I hadn't even visited it until I went through a hypnosis and, and that was the first thing that showed up. And I was like, wow. Okay. So then I was given the opportunity to download the wisdom, to reclaim the emotional charge, to get what I needed and rewrite the trauma. So when you ask, what do we do? Big T trauma to little T trauma, the process is the same. This process of first identifying, like the only reason why you're going in and you're looking at contractions that have happened in the past is if they're still playing out in your life now. Mm -hmm. And if they're still playing out in your life now, it's pretty easy to identify the triggers, right? So I'm simplifying a process that, that requires depth that I would suggest if you, of course you can do this on your own. I have courses for this. If you're interested in in doing that as well, the code is a really good way to do that. Um, And there's also many beautiful practitioners out there who do this shadow work, but simplifying the process is identifying triggers identifying limiting beliefs associated with the trigger, identifying, okay, where did this start? Where, Mm -hmm. and if you can't, it's not an opportunity for us to get heady. It's just, what's the first, what are some first anecdotes, first stories that show up when I look at when this starts and then start to understand whether there's emotional charge that needs to be claimed from there or not. What does that mean? Okay. You know, if something has been healed or not, based off of whether you still have a strong emotional reaction to that. I call that emotional charge. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you still have a strong emotional reaction to it, then there's still some wisdom that needs to be downloaded. And there is still something inside of that past event that you need to sit with witness and heal. Sometimes that's meeting your inner child and parenting your inner child in that moment. Sometimes it's acknowledging that, that child for something that you wanted to be acknowledged for or creating acceptance or love or whatever it is that, that was needed. Sometimes it's speaking your needs. Sometimes it's being able to be present and say, okay, I don't like this trauma, this bit, especially with big T stuff, right? Like this happened and I can't do anything about it now, but what I can do is rewrite the story from being a story of my demise to a story of resilience. And that's the wisdom that you download. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. How, you know, whether you've healed that past event, that's kind of like, I like to think of the past event and the origin stories. Again, it's some, it's not sometimes so simple as just one event, right? It's usually one event. And then each time you play out that limiting belief, it gets reinforced by other events. So it takes work. It's an artful delaying process. And that's kind of another thing before I circle, you know, come back to where this idea of emotional charge, we judge ourselves for having healed a a layer and then saying, okay, well now I've healed that. No life Mm -hmm. is this process of continuous healing of maybe you've, you've healed layers one through five, but then maybe there's an opportunity for you to heal layers six through seven later on in life, not an opportunity to judge, but an opportunity to claim more. Okay. So I like to think of the origin story as the electricity that lights up the limiting belief that lights up the trigger. So what happens when you go and you claim the emotional charge by witnessing, giving your inner child, what you need, downloading the wisdom from the situation, you knock out the electricity, right? When you're trying to like what buffering behaviors, for example, like disorder, needing shopping addiction, gossiping, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever your poison is, but when it comes to buffering feelings that you don't want to feel anxiety, it's also buffering behavior. It's not about attacking it at surface level. It's not about like looking at the behavior itself. It's about knocking out the electricity Mm -hmm. through looking at the origin story because that be, it will continue to show up or transmute in different ways until you witness it. So how I know that I have healed. I mean, there are sometimes I'm surprised by there's more layers of stuff to be healed, but how I know how some of these things that I've truly healed is like, I can talk about being raped as a kid. I can talk about being raped as an adult and my body has no reaction to it. Like I'm, it is a neutral event to me because I have done the work to claim, to rewrite and to to decide that I'm writing a story of resilience. That's what I'm about. So if you, if you want to knock me down or if I get knocked, if I want to knock myself down, which is usually the way that it goes, right? (laughs) I know that I'm continuously allowing myself to write a story of resilience. That's what I'm committed to. Not the, not committed to how all of my stories and my past have made me not lovable or not acceptable. I'm committed to taking all of those things that have happened and that reinforcing why I'm so strong, why I'm so powerful. And the story that I'm here to spread and write, which is to help people to remember that no matter what you've faced in your life, you are here to share your medicine. You are here Mm -hmm. to be all that you are. I love that. I love how you just so simply explained how, you know, when you're healed versus not like when you think about like a traumatic event or a moment or a feeling, and you have that emotional reaction, that's such a great way to instantly connect with your body and your mind and think, okay, I'm still feeling heaviness in my heart or like uneasiness in my gut. Clearly this topic or area of my life hasn't been fully healed yet. Let's go to the next layer. What I'm curious about, um, something that I struggle with is especially cause I feel like with doing all the work in the past recent years, I've become very hyper aware of my emotions and my feelings. And I feel like what I'm struggling with sometimes, or what I feel that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also struggling with is 
the moment where you know you're in that continuous cycle of of like triggers or patterns or negative behaviors and you're no you know they're not serving you but you still can't get yourself out of the headspace like it could be due to fear or comfortability or anxiety what advice would you give to someone who is at the edge of that cliff and they see the other side and they they know that there's something beautiful there but they can't get themselves to jump yet like that middle point of like, you know what you need to do, but you can't get yourself to do it yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you're going to do this on your own, you have to identify the blocks. What's the why, why, what is keeping you from already being in that space that you know is possible for you. Okay. From that, why you can get granular, right? It can be, okay. There's a fear. The things, the barriers that are keeping you from from moving from where you are now, A, to where you want to be, B, it's beliefs, right? Very, very rarely is it actually like true circumstances that we haven't we hadn't created for ourselves, mm-hmm. okay? So when you can get granular about what is X, what is X keeping me from moving from A to B? What is the barriers that are getting in my way? Are they beliefs? Are they behaviors? Is it this loop that I'm stuck in of... Uh, like I feel anxious because I don't find I'm not feeling confident in my purpose. Thus, instead of feeling those emotions in their entirety, which would allow me to identify the origin story because I'm fear, fear of feeling really is just like fear of the fact that we don't believe that if I let myself feel the fear of not being in my purpose, like, can I handle those emotions? Will I have this emotional fallout? Like, will that end me? That's what we're really afraid of. Is like, if I let myself feel all of this, can I handle it? Like, is this mm-hmm. going to break me? Which is so interesting, right? Yeah. So when we feel like maybe going back to that example, when we feel, okay, I'm feeling unsettled in my purpose. And so in, instead of letting myself feel all those emotions, I'm going to buffer using anxiety. I'm going to buffer using food, right? I'm, and a buffering mechanism is just something that's keeping you from feeling that in its entirety because emotions are messengers. Emotions are the clothing that wrap themselves out of around a message that's there for you to claim. So if you're not feeling those emotions, you can't take that message, right? Mm-hmm. So... If you can first, like, let, I guess let's make this, which is more of like an intangible concept of the mind, more linear. If you can first understand like your, what your typical buffering behavior is, because that's really like what's keeping you from going to be right. You're mm-hmm. kicking yourself in the knees because of fear, whatever it might be. If you can understand what first your buffering behavior is, what are the triggers that trigger it and why they're triggered? And then if you can identify X that I was speaking at before, so like the main barrier, is it a fear? Is it a behavior? Is it whatever it might be? Then you can start to walk down this path and have a clear blueprint of, okay, in order to get to destination B, I need to uproot this pattern belief or behavior and I need to remove this barrier. 
And all it takes is what is the next best step that I can take? What's the step that I can take today? What is the step that I can take tomorrow? Mm-hmm. To chunk it out into actual steps that you can do right now, not looking so much in the future, especially it can feel so overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself just not being able to see yourself clearly, know that the little steps that you are taking, they add up. So even if you don't think... Like we always believe that we're going to make everything happen overnight, right? Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And why journaling is so impactful is like, if you can keep a log, then you have the ability to look back and see, okay, so long as I can commit to taking a step of awareness each and every day, I will move the needle. Even if that means sometimes taking two steps back, two Mm -hmm. steps back and to move forward, right? If you're really struggling to see yourself clearly, hire somebody. Like bring someone into your sphere who can be a mirror, who can collapse the timeline of this trial and error. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have like three people in my life who I've hired to help me to do that because I I recognize the important, this isn't me just like, you know, yes, I'm a healer and coach. I do benefit from people who do choose this path. I'm not saying it for business purposes. I'm saying it because it's truly like, if you want to move past stuff that's kicking you in the knees with ease and flow, if you can bring a true mirror, whether that be a therapist, a healer, a coach, um, a confidant, it's going to make that process a whole lot easier, right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the times you don't actually need someone to tell you what to do. What you need is someone who can stand alongside you, who can help you, who can poke through those illusions of your stories of, whoa, yes, but who can also say like, hey, as you traverse this territory that I know feels scary for you, I've got your back, right? Mm -hmm. I'm creating some safety here for us. I'm helping to ground you as you move through this because you're doing the work, not the practitioner, not Mm -hmm. me, not anyone else. It's you. So of course this can be done on your, by yourself alone and I honor that road, but I think there's a lot of value in having support. Absolutely. And I think the fact that you're a healer and you're saying that like, even you look externally for other sources to help you on your own path is a testament to that. And I feel like my experience with, um, spiritual healers is what I've realized is that every time that I'm talking with them, their response or their guidance simply reinforces what I felt in my intuition and hearing to your point, like that mirror, having that being reflected just reminds me, holy shit. Like I knew that. And yes, I'm paying this person to tell me what I already knew, but it's like that positive reinforcement really does help you on your path because then you realize if I knew that in my heart already, I have the fucking power to, to heal this or to work on it or to bring it to life. Which I think what I want to, you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but that explicitly saying that so, but in terms of healing and helping people evolve into their higher version of themselves, part of that is through manifestation. And you talked about daily, little daily steps to get to where you want from point A to point B. How do you think visualization or journaling or scripting or vision boards can help people in the, in the day to day and then also in the long term? That's a really great question. So manifestation, first of all, is just life. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. We think like, oh, manifestation, it's so sexy, it's golden, like new car, whatever it might be. But it's we've just manifested life. everything that right? we're yeah. yeah. It's just life. You like your reality is an experience that you've created, right? Mm-hmm. Through who you are being. So how we can use the visual field, how we can use the words, the vision boards, the journaling, like, why is that impactful? It's not like the journaling or the vision board, like asserts some sort of magic upon us that like allows (laughs) us to create the reality, right? What these things are, are tuning forks. So if who you are being, who you decide to be, the way that it works with the quantum world. So we have the energetic world, which is the quantum right? And we have our physical reality. Things happen in our energetic reality, just like that. So I decide right now, okay, I'm going to be the version of myself that sells out my immersion, um, within a couple of days. Okay. So I decide that I'm going to be that I can decide that. And I can become that by tuning myself to the frequency of that version of myself. And all that means it's like a lot of language. Right. (laughs) But all that means is like, okay, what do I need to believe so that that can be true? Who do I need to be so that that can be true? Well, when I decide that energetically, then it's up to me to continuously choose to be that version of myself each day and allow my physical reality to catch up because the physical reality, it's slower, Mm -hmm. right? Physical 3d stuff. It's, it's tangible. Energy isn't. So Manifestation is the commitment of saying, I desire to be the version of myself that has or is X, Y, and Z. I'm using like a more material thing, but yeah, we'll just stick to that for the purposes of this. So manifestation is the commitment to deciding that each and every day you are going to tune yourself to the version of yourself who has that thing using the tuning forks that are your visual field, journaling, maybe it's affirmations on your mirror or the vision board. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it is not enough to write these things. It is not enough to just have the vision board. How to actually, actually use these things is, you know, I'm going to use the one that I'll give, I'll give an example of a tool that I find to be very effective. All right. It's a journaling exercise. So The first question is, what is it that I desire to bring into my reality? Okay. Mm -hmm. The second question is, who am I when I am the version of myself who is living in that reality? Mm -hmm. The third question is, how is that different from the version of me Mm. existing right now? That's a good one. Right. Fourth question, why? Fifth question, what can I be or who can I be today in order to embody that version of myself? Sixth question, what does she look like? How does she act? Mm -hmm. How does she go about that day? Okay. So within six questions, you've been able to first identify what it is that you desire, identify any discrepancies between who you are being now and who you want to be or the version of yourself that already exists inside of you who wants to actualize that thing into this tuning fork of like, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z today, I am an embodiment of that. And if I can commit to that embodiment, 
then my physical reality will match it eventually. And the, I think the hardest part and where people like drop their manifestations mm-hmm. is time, right? I was just going to say patience and time. Yep. Mm-hmm. You got to hold your manifestation. Even when it feels like you're like, okay, I want that apartment, but this one, it's not quite what I want, but it's close <laughs> enough. And what if I don't encounter something better than this? No, you got to hold it. Yeah. You have to hold it. Timelines will happen as the way that they happen. You will be tested. You will be tested to see how much can you truly believe this to be true. And if you hold that, man, magic. I experienced exactly that where I was looking for an apartment for a year and I almost signed a lease in a studio in the financial district in New York. And I, after I toured the unit, I was like, I don't know, like location, not my favorite size of the apartment. Yeah. Like lighting. Okay. I just need to sign something before we go back to the office. Cause I don't want to commute into New York anymore. And I remember I was like ready to sign the papers, but in my heart, I knew it wasn't for me. But because of the stress and like just the anxiety of not finding something, quote, better, even though it wasn't even the greatest, um, I kept going back and forth. And my dad had a conversation with me. He was like, you need to be patient. This isn't the place for you. Just trust me. Trust God's timing. Trust yourself. Like, this is not it. And then two months later, I found my dream apartment. That is exactly what I was looking for. But it was the it's crazy sometimes because with intuition, like we know sometimes are we, some moments we trust it. And then other times we don't, I'm curious, like when it comes to manifestations and we, when you know, something is meant for you, but that patience or the time is getting in the way, how do you get back to trusting yourself that this is what you want? And this is how you should go about it. And to give yourself the space and the time to bring it into your reality. So The most important thing about manifestation is that you have what I like to call an upper level manifestation. So the why, what is the why behind the manifestation? Do you want that pair of boots so that Jimmy down the hall will notice you? Or do you want that pair of boots? Because when you put on those pair of boots, it attunes you to the version of yourself who feels like a badass bitch, Mm -hmm. right? Who, Who like, it's an expression of you. Those boots are an extension of who you are, right? When your manifestation is an expansion of you, it is not a, um, it is something that it is not something that is based in fear or, or unworthiness, then it is aligned for you. Okay. I think that's it. That's an important difference, right? It is not enough. And maybe I differ from some manifestation teachers in this way, but I don't think it is enough to simply want just a material thing, mm-hmm. Right. You have to, it's all about the energy. Why do you want more money? You want more money because you want freedom. It's like, you don't give a shit about the dollars, about the paper money itself. Who who cares? It's what that signifies, right? Freedom, safety, whatever that might be. So when you're feeling jaded by how long it's taking, it's an opportunity for you to first check in. And the only way that we can check in truly, truly is not in our mind, because the mind has agendas, right? The Mm -hmm. mind is like, is like, how can we keep you in fear? But also how can we keep you safe? Right. The ego gets a bad rap because the ego isn't like, it's not there to kick you in the knees. It's there to keep you safe. It's there so that you can live in your reality 
in a way that according to the programs, it's downloaded through your entire life. That leads to the best of your ability. It, it thinks, right? But your body, your body is is all about that that intuition, right? Intuition lives in the body. And your intuition is like the purest source of what is truly in alignment for you. It doesn't have agendas. The only agenda that your intuition that your body has is for you to be the most expanded version of yourself, mm-hmm. right? Ego, keep you alive. Intuition, for you to be most the most expanded, the most uh, expressed version of yourself. So if you are feeling jaded, connect to the why. Connect to the upper level manifestation and allow that to to add to the fire, to stoke to the fire that may be getting smaller. I love the terminology you used of expanding yourself, because often when we think of manifestations, we think of all these different things that exist outside of us. But it's like, to your point, it's not about the money, it's the freedom which exists within you. It's not about the apartment. It's about having a lovely, safe environment that that you could walk into and feel this peace. So I haven't heard that terminology and I love that because it's just how far can we go? And the, it's when you think of expansion, it's limitless, which gives us so much power because we truly can manifest anything from within us that then comes to the physical reality. I love that. I'm going to steal that terminology. Um, not to digress, but you mentioned in the beginning, you do your retreats. I'm curious to know, like, how, I know you've been on a few ayahuasca retreats and I'm sure you've done so many more. I would love to, for you to talk briefly about your experience with ayahuasca and then what led you to include this experience into your practice. My experience with medicines is a, is a very powerful, intricate, I mean, I would encourage you if for, for listeners who want to know more, I, I go into the background. I'm going to just get like a, like an overview before I just talk about my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you want to know like the nitty gritty details about my medicine experiences, go check out my podcast because not to like, you know, no, I listen to them. They're great. (laughs) But, but I go into like the science, like the, the whole understanding, um, of ayahuasca and also Bufo and other medicine that I've worked with. So I decided to work with ayahuasca a couple years ago when I felt like I was hitting a wall when it came to my involvement, right? I felt like I'd done a lot on a lot of work. Um, but I was feeling this call to work with this indigenous medicine. So just to give you guys a background of what ayahuasca is, ayahuasca is a psychedelic brew with DMT being the entheogenic factor that exists inside of it. It is native to the Amazon, to the sacred Valley. Um, and it has been used as a medicine, not a drug. So let's just quickly go over why using these entheogens so psychedelic medicines are different than drugs. Drugs you take to escape, okay? Mm-hmm. Entheogens, psychedelic medicines, you take to walk further into the things that are creating contraction, mm-hmm. right? Also, these psychedelic medicines, they're not 
fun. <laughs> like they're not like it's not like a pleasant experience. Yes, you download so much wisdom that you forget how unpleasant the bodily sensation can be. Um, but you're not like doing these things at the party. Okay. So that's how they're different is that they're truly revered and have this really deep, beautiful cultural history, um, that supports them in being healing, uh, not only for the mind, but also for the body somatically. So I have, I've drank ayahuasca a couple of times now. Um, and I feel like it has truly served me in, you know, I think, yeah, it, it helped me to reclaim and see the world very differently. I would say some of like my major aha moments were the fact that we are all connected. We are all one, um, that everything and everyone is the mirror just showing us playing out our internal reality. And then this is truly our video game to play and we get to decide mm-hmm. how to play it. Um, I went through some, I mean, really amazing healings, um, but also some like some really, this medicine, ayahuasca specifically has this personification inside of the journey. So what happens is you go and I want to make a little note here too. If you are thinking about participating with one of these medicines, um, whether it be ayahuasca or San Pedro or Bufo, or there's so many, do it with someone who it is in, it is within their culture. Okay. Go actually be in the cultural experience, do it with people who are well-trained because this stuff is no joke. And if you're not doing it with people who are properly trained, I've, I've heard horror stories, not to scare people, but things can go awry. And I, I know that we've talked about before. I had an experience that I can also talk about a little bit, um, where I worked with Bufo and I had an experience that left me with nervous system dysregulation and PTSD. So working with high integrity practitioners with ayahuasca specifically, I think you really have to work with my estros who, oh, you know, some, maybe I'm a purist in this sense, but working with people who I've worked with my estros, I've worked with, um, and I guess like when I say my estros, people think, okay, shaman, Maestros and shaman are like, they're different. Shaman, we, we really miss you shaman in our culture, right? But maestros are what we think of shaman. So maestros who have had a lineage where their, their father and their grandfather or their, or their mother and their grandmother have served this medicine. It's a very different experience. And it's a lot more safe and a lot more clear than it is with someone who, you know, I've worked with Western maestros who, you know, like lived in Illinois until they were 27 (laughs) and then did, I mean, I'm not discounting that, but I just, I would say it was, it's not as clear of an experience and the container was not as held as it was with the indigenous people who are native to this medicine. Anyways, lots of aha moments. Um, I think one of the things that I also like that has really carried with me, not only like lessons, like I truly learned how to move through discomfort. I I learned what it felt like to lose my mind. I learned what it felt like to be reborn. I learned what it felt like to die and come back again. 
which is really powerful or, or how to hold sadness or how to hold all of these emotions in their, in their, or despair. And like their most pronounced and know that, like, I mean, like those, those experiences really changed me. It really stretched my container and it really allowed me to hold even more in my own life, but also in my clients' lives. But I also feel like the rewiring it did chemically for me, um, was really like, I can truly tell the difference for me. I'd been on ADD medicine for about 10 years and it really affected me in a poor way. It, um, I think it, it just really, it damaged my nervous system and I was left with anxiety and depression that although I had a lot of conscious support, I feel like the ayahuasca kind of like rewire that in some way, which I found to be really impactful. So yeah, that, I mean, there's so much that we could talk about when it comes to my experience with these medicines. What would, what speaks to you? Well, definitely wanted, you know, invite my listeners to listen to both of your episodes. Cause I did. And I felt like I, I, I knew a lot about the practice and the medicine, but I feel like hearing your personal anecdotes just kind of And also you're a great storyteller. So I was really visualizing what you were talking about, which like made me understand the experience a lot more. I guess what I'm curious about is like, it's so powerful and you unpack a lot and you're brought a lot of these thoughts or beliefs or traumas or feelings you didn't even know you were feeling are brought to life. I'm sure it felt felt probably overwhelming as well. So after the retreat was over and after you had those experiences, did you feel overwhelmed with all that new knowledge you had? And like, was it daunting to then come back to the real world and know all this and be like, okay, I have a new approach to living. How do I go about it? And how do I attack these different things that I'm, I was previously doing in my past life? Yeah. So absolutely. I mean, it totally, especially the first time, I think the first time you're so my reality was blown to pieces. So ayahuasca was my first psychedelic. Like I never experienced psychedelics prior to that. So I just like went in big. Um, and the experience that I had, I went through, and if you listen to these episodes, I mean, I went through a roller coaster of experiences. Like, I mean, just things that if I were to say them out loud, you'd be like, holy, like that's just bananas, but it totally re yeah. It totally changed the way I saw my world. So for about two weeks afterwards from my first experience, which was so interesting, it was right before COVID, like <laughs> legitimately right before COVID that this, that this happened. So I had to take, I, I mean, I just remember feeling like how can I, like, how do I live now that I understand the world this way? What, what do I value? I had to change the lens through which I perceived my relationships. I had to change the lens through which I saw my world. Like it changed me fundamentally, like as a human and who I was. And when you change, you know, like because of this, I also think like everything else, it's a ripple effect, right? Like everything else in your life Mm -hmm. changes. So yeah, I think it it took me like this is why integration of this stuff is so important. Like yes, you go, you have these amazing experiences, like these wonderful journeys, you know, and 
I want to also speak to the fact that like some people have very visual journeys and some people don't, and that they're both valid. They're both really important and they're both very impactful. I'm a very visual person. So I have very visual experiences. Um, and integration is so important. Like it's not enough to just go have these experiences. It's like, what does this mean for your life going forward? Mm-hmm. Because if you just go have the experience and you don't do anything about it, then is it really serving you? Like, did you really download the medicine from it? So you have to like take this information and kind of like a hand, like two hands that like hold either side of the lens through which you view your world. It bends the lens. It changes the lens. So you're, you have to like learn how to see again from this new lens. That's what integration is. So yeah, it took a while and it took a lot of conversations with my people, um, with my healer, you know, to, to be like, what does this mean for me? And, Mm -hmm. and the process of integration too, is like, it's not so immediate. I was having aha moments about things that had happened inside of those first few journeys, like a year, two years later. I mean, sometimes I'm walking down the street and I'm like, holy shit, Mm -hmm. that's what that means. Like, and it just lands for me. That's crazy. I love that. I'm curious if let's say like someone's listening and they either have known about ayahuasca and they've been interested in it, or this is their first time, but they're curious to know more. A lot of people talk about how mother ayahuasca will call you and you'll know when she's calling you when it's time for you to try this plant medicine. What was that moment like for you? And how do you really know that it's time for you to try this versus just like you wanting to do it and you think she's calling you per se? Okay. So the call is quite strong. It goes from you're crazy. Why would you do? Like, I remember the first (laughs) time my friend, my first friend who did it. And I like met up with her right after I was like in the place with her while she was integrating. And I was like, you drank what for, and you were vomiting and what this sounds terrible, right? It went from that to being like, if I don't sign up for a retreat, Like I can't live for the next day. Like it Mm -hmm. became so, I mean, that's dramatic, but I am dramatic. (laughs) Um, It was very, very strong. It was consistent. And all of a sudden the idea of drinking a brew, a psychedelic brew that makes you purge in order to have this experience felt like exciting and opening rather than scary. Of course, there's always a little bit of fear because you're diving headfirst. You're swan diving into the unknown. You're swan diving into surrender. But it's there is no doubt because you have to have that sort of conviction to decide to go to take on an experience like that one. Mm-hmm. So to wrap up, as you know, the title of my podcast is Lows to Highs, Going Inwards and Growing Up. And I feel like that summarizes our conversation Can you share a story? I mean, you talked about your childhood trauma when you were four and when you were 21 or like a pivotal moment where when you went inwards and really dissected what you were dealing with that, that memory or that story transitioned from a low to a high. Totally. You know what? I'm going to speak to something that's actually pretty recent. So speaking of psychedelics, I had an experience in November with Bufo 5-MeO-DMT is the main ingredient. This sounds kind of bananas, but it is a toad venom that is crystallized and it is practice in um, Sonarin desert, 
cultures. It is a, as like a rite of passage. Um, when you turn 13, you, you smoke this toad venom. Um, and yeah, so I participated with this medicine. It is the strongest psychedelic that exists. So it, it has this, people call it like, uh, for a lot of people, it feels like you're meeting God. So you feel like you dissolve in your entirety, um, which can be both amazing, but also terrifying because all of a sudden you cease to exist. You're everything and nothing at the same time. You can feel these, uh, these feelings of extreme bliss. You can also feel feelings of, of purging of like moving through a lot of things at once, like releasing a lot of things at once. So anyways, that was, I had my third experience with this medicine in November with someone who I really trust. And I, unfortunately, like when I speak to integrity, when it comes to this medi- these medicines, this is why it matters so much is after that experience, I had what is called reactivations. So the experience itself is about an hour. It's like really fast for an entheogenic experience, a psychedelic experience. Usually they're over a couple of hours. So it was an hour. It was really expanded, like very expansive for me. Like the journey definitely pushed me to my edges, but I was like, okay, nothing like I'm pretty experienced with this stuff now. Like nothing I can't handle. Well, for the next seven nights, when I went to sleep, every time I went to bed, I went back into the journey. Okay. Mm -hmm. That at the beginning, I was like, I'm doing great work. This is awesome. Like, I'm glad I'm doing this. But I was also, I was leading an aloe workshop. I was then flown to Austin to lead 50 people in breath work every morning. Like I was doing all of these things that I had to be real human for while not really getting sleep and having to like be like journeying in my dreams. Mm -hmm. Every time I went to bed, I would slip back into the journey and it started to distort my reality and it became scary. The last of the nights I had this vision of like a dark entity taking me over. Okay. Terrifying. So my body jolts out of that. And what ended up happening is that although my conscious mind knew that I was okay, my body was traumatized. So never in my life, I thought I had PTSD from the experiences that I had that I spoke to like in childhood and adulthood, but all of a sudden, me being a trauma coach, mm-hmm. I was faced with one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. All of a sudden, I was having panic attacks that were like not just panic attacks, like panic attacks mirroring mild psychosis. Um, P- the PTSD was so strong that even though my mind was like, you're safe, you're fine, my body was just would just spiral. And it felt like I was dying. It was terrifying. So I had this experience where I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to coach again. Like, and I have a retreat coming up. What am I going to do? I don't know. I'm like, this is so embarrassing. Like here I am. I went in to go learn more medicine or more wisdom. And like, did I just fuck myself? Like what, Mm -hmm. what just happened? Right. And I went from being in one of the lowest of lows, like a rock bottom, because my mind is my asset. Like my mind is, is like my product, not only like in my business, but like it is a big identity factor for me. So I went from feeling like I was never going to be able to coach again, like 
you know, like I had somehow ruined myself. Like I, I thought I had done chemical damage, which was not the case. Thank God. It was just really strong PTSD to going through this journey of finding real reverence for somatic work. So I think I had to go through this experience so that I could learn how to support people at the somatic level. So what did I do? Well, I couldn't reason my way out of the PTSD. So I had to talk to my body. So I used applied neurology techniques, stuff like tapping. There's a lot of applied neurology tools that you can use to reset your nervous system, to tell your nervous system directly using tactile touch that it's safe, that it can unwind. I learned to, to really, to hold myself, to hold myself in those moments and to like really the power of, of the body, the power of, of these tools and a a renewed reverence for how much trauma can, it's not just mental, how it can really be physical. So that also gave me a renewed, a renewed conviction around integrity in this space. Because to be honest, like when I got into this, people thought I was like, kind of like banana cakes, you know, like <laughs> that was like kind of losing it. Um, Cause there weren't a lot of like these like master coach healer mm-hmm. types around when I first got into this. And now there are a lot, which is great because we need a lot of healing, but there aren't a lot of people who are doing trauma work who actually know what they're doing. I received a lot of people on my retreat who have been traumatized by people who thought they knew what they needed to know to hold space for trauma, but instead, you know, not that I think it was their intention to do so because I truly believe that people have good intentions, um, but ended up creating these circumstances for people. So the arrow that got pulled back from this experience really shot forward in that I got to yet again, write a resilient story mm-hmm. of me coming back from this rock bottom from me coming back from really terrible PTSD to being okay again, to being like, not even okay, like even better. And a part of me almost believes that that foundation of who I thought I was, that was at the top of my game needed to crumble even more Mm -hmm. that I needed to be knocked down when I thought I was high Mm -hmm. so that I could come back and be built even stronger. So the renewed conviction for the somatic work when it comes to the body and the renewed conviction to hold us to, to hold a standard in this space for healers and coaches. Because when I was in that space, I reached out to so many people and people would like, I I had a hard time finding people who would help me. Mm. Like I remember DMing two people and like, who, you know, were saying that this is what they help people do with PTSD. And like, they weren't, they weren't holding me in that they weren't receptive or even like pointing, being an advocate for the work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I will, if someone comes to me, I will never allow that to happen for them. Like I want to be a, a resource and I want to help to help other people to be resources and advocates for true healing, true healing that doesn't look at just the mind, but looks at all aspects, true healing that looks at the integrity of the integration that is holding you not only through like the, the, the little D darkness, but the big D darkness mm-hmm. and says, it's okay. It's fine that you're here. You're going to be fine. You're going to get through this because I truly believe that our biggest contraction, like our, the, the, the biggest thing that we think that we go through is also our biggest medicine. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I love how we just went full circle and to back what we initially chatted through because it's like that suffering, that pain, that experience allowed you to uncover a deeper part of your purpose, which is where you kind of pivoted your work towards not just those one-to-one coaching sessions with people like me, but also helping healers become better healers and helping coaches learn alternative ways to getting to helping people through these types of traumas that you had felt was a, there was a void in your own life and here you are filling it. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you, Mary. I feel like I learned so much and I feel like all of our listeners are going to just be like, their minds are going to be blown of how much knowledge and wisdom was shared in this episode. And I'm mostly excited to do your journaling practice. I think those six questions, you know, I, I think I've done like questions one through four, but I haven't gone to the to five and six, and I'm excited to incorporate that. Um, but to end off, tell our listeners where they could find you, how they could follow you, um, give yourself a little self promo of your workshop that's happening in May. Tell everyone the deets. Amazing. So first I want to thank you for having me. And it was like such a pleasure being able to have this conversation to connect with you. Um, and then as far as what it would look like for us to continue the conversation, you guys, and, and for you all to also be a part of my community, the best place to find me is on Instagram. So at ritual, um, and routine. It's so funny. Every time I say ritual, people are like, how do you spell that? I'm like, you know, like sacrifice ritual, which sounds so perfect. (laughs) I'll have it in the description below. So everyone could quickly be linked to your Instagram. No worries. Exactly. So at ritual and routine, um, I have lots of beautiful things that are, that are coming up. If you are a healer and coach, I'm about to open up the doors to blueprint of service, which is a mastermind for coaches and healers who, if you're either at the initiation, whether you've started your business as a coach and healer, or if you like know that you want to be a coach and a healer, but you don't even know where to start. This is like the one-stop shop one month long course built for you. Well, actually it's self-paced. So you can do it really at like whatever pace you desire. And then I have my New York city immersion. So retreat experiences are really my jam. Intimacy is my jam. Like you come in for a day with me in this immersion and we are going to get into the nitty gritty. We are going to go on an investigation. We're going to look at the shadow work and we're going to look at the light work. And in between and amongst all of that will be beautiful tools. Like if you liked what was shared in the tools I shared in this podcast today, a lot of that. Also, there will be ceremony, all of these different things to really make this a well-rounded holistic experience. And that's in New York City, uh, in Chelsea, in this beautiful loft on May 14th, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., lunch included, very excited. And you can find all the details for that on my Instagram. Amazing. I'm so excited for you. Thank you again, Mary. And thank you guys for listening.